Hi, and welcome to a new episode of Ethics for a Changing World. What does it mean to be human if we're no longer the most intelligent beings in the world? That's the question that we dealt with in the first part of this mini-series focused on robots and humans. You can check out that episode wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't already listened to it. In the second episode, we're going to be talking about the impacts on us socially of having robots that look like humans. And we're going to be talking specifically to a philosopher called Joanna Malinowska, whose focus is on empathy, what it means to empathize with robots and the benefits and challenges associated with that. Firstly, we're going to be talking about empathy, how we define that. And this is a little bit technical for a couple of minutes um, as we talk about different ways of thinking about what empathy is. But don't worry about that. Just stick with it, because then we talk about the social issues that come with empathizing with robots, how corporations can use cute robots that we can empathize with to sell us things and a lot of worries that come about with empathizing with a specific type of robot that is sex robots and what this means in terms of feminism and uh, gender hierarchy if you like the episode remember to leave a five-star review on apple podcasts or like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and share the episode with others you can follow us on Ethics Tech Pod on Twitter and at Ethics for a Changing World on Instagram. Without further ado, on with the show. Hi, Joanna. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. How about you start by telling us a little bit about your work? Um, my name is Joanna Karolina Malinowska and I work at Adam Mickiewicz University in Poland. In the last year, I began a three-year research project uh, titled Category of Race in the Philosophy of Medicine, Conceptualization and Application of the Category of Race in Biomedical Research and Healthcare. Uh, supported by Polish National Science Center. However, we, we won't talk about it today. Most generally, the subject of my research is a broadly understood philosophy of science, uh, which particularly emphasizes on the philosophy of um, medicine, philosophy of neurosciences, uh, philosophy of psychology. Um, I explore connections between these areas and questions uh, in bioethics, uh, epistemology, ontology, and methodology. Um, And a few years ago, I became interested in the use of the category of race in science uh, in the context of neuroscience and psychology. I used uh, acquired knowledge while working in the research project of my colleague, Maciej Musiał, uh, who wrote a great book about um, intimate relations with robots uh, called It was titled um, Enchanting Robots, as I remember. I started um, to work for him in his project by analyzing psychological and neuroscientific papers on the relations between humans and social robots. And my attention was drawn to the fact that biases in these interactions are largely similar to those in in in-group relations between people. Uh, for instance, unfamiliarity homogeneity effect usually studied in the form of the so-called 
uh, other race effect. Uh, so from this issue, there was only one step to studying the problem of empathy between uh, humans and robots. And this is the topic of our conversation, as I suppose. That's a really interesting introduction and segue into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, could you just explain briefly what you mean exactly by um, in-groups, um, which, you, which you mentioned? Uh, in-groups and uh, intergroups relations, it's a term from social psychology. Uh, when we uh, study interactions between people, sometimes we study them in terms of in-groups and uh, other groups relations. So, for example, if we react to people who are not from our social groups, we react differently than if we would recognize them as a part of our social group. But the group affiliation can change, of course, and they are like, there are different criteria to, to establish this group affiliation. For example, sometimes it is uh, the color of someone's skin, sometimes it is an accent, sometimes it's a, it is a social class or a sport group, like, I don't know, football team or something like that. It re really depends on the situation and occasion, etc. But I found that it can be easily... Um, th th those um, the, the research that studied these situations can be easily used in uh, research on social robots. And of course, it is not only my idea. Many people do that. We're going to get into some of the how we apply that to robots in a second. But the, the broad theme we're talking about here is empathy with robots. Could you just, I mean, we kind of have, a, have a, like a basic idea of what we mean by empathy, but could you just clarify that a little bit for us? I have to say that this is a horrible question because there are so many different definitions of empathy and how we understand it, it, it also depends to what goal we want to use this definition so in many different um, disciplines, there are different definitions of science that actually work and they can help us produce some new knowledge, for example. There is some paper uh, written by Amy Copeland, uh, uh, and she, she wrote that there are like few basic uh, ways that people interpret the term empathy. And there are, for example, caring about someone else, being emotionally affected by someone uh, as emotions, uh, or imagining uh, one's, oneself in someone else's shoes, or imagine being another person, or making inferences about others' mental state, etc. So there are like different um, different definitions. We can also categorize them as, for example, substantial, functional, and relational definitions, which also differ significantly uh, because they analyze em empathy from very different angles. Uh, and what is important in our conversation is that while usually we think about empathy in terms of social relations, it is a huge problem for uh, human uh, robot interaction studies to uh, apply this concept without any theoretical issues <laughs> because we know that robots are not uh, social agents in terms of like very classical definitions which uh, interpret uh, social agents as um, uh, sentient beings. 
with certain social goals, etc. So, so this is a very interesting problem because even though robots are not social beings in terms of those classical definitions, still our social uh, ontology developed in the last few years. And we understand that we can actually include non-human beings in this, in this social ontology. And when we discuss definitions of, definitions of empathy, I think even here we can, we can understand it in a few different ways. For example, we can say that uh, as, as it is done by, for example, um, Damiano and um, Damiuchel, um, we, can, we can discuss empathy in terms of relational processes. So then we have like those two agents and empathy is a process that occurs that it's, it's somehow supervene on the, on the, this whole situation on the, on the play of uh, behavioral reactions between two agents. Or we can, for example, um, discuss empathy in a very behavioral uh, functional perspective. And this is done in a very, in the many uh, studies in area of uh, social robotics, for example, because their uh, empathy is usually used to achieve some kind of uh, goals uh, related to robots' functionality. So I'm sorry, I cannot say like there is this definition of empathy and, and, and empathy is this and that. There is still huge disagreement about it. In my paper uh, that we are discussing uh, today, in one of them, I was more into relational uh, perspective on empathy uh, because I was analyzing this situation from the perspective of both agents, both participants of the situation of empathizing. Uh, but in other, which was more into uh, one of those agents, which is people, uh, I used a different um, definition. Uh, it was a definition of empathy uh, based on Singer's definition of empathy, as I remember. And this definition told that we have to, like, we have few criteria uh, to to establish if there is, um, if we are, we there is some kind of empathizing or not. And those criteria are first, uh, our subject is in certain affective somatic and cognitive state. The affective or somatic state of the subject is analogous to. Uh, the state of another subject, and these states may vary in intensity of emotions, sensations, but should be similar in type. A third one is that the state of our subject, affective, somative, and cognitive, is triggered by observation, imagination, or inference about the affective somatic state of another person. Uh, fourth is that co the cognitive perspective of our subject is aimed at understanding the state of another person. And the final one is that um, our subject knows that another person is the source of their affective or soma and somatic and cognitive state. So this is actually pretty complex and complicated process. Yeah, that makes sense. And then just from that, I mean, broadly speaking, your argument is that 
we can empathize with robots to some extent. Um, some people on the face of it would think that sounds a little bit absurd. I mean, um, for example, you, you mentioned the phrase putting yourself in their shoes. You can't really put yourself in the shoes of a robot. Some people would say you, you can't imagine what that's like. So just could you just lay out for us what your argument is um, and why you think we can empathize with robots, at least in some sense? Of course, I totally agree that first thing about empathizing with robot, the, the, the question that uh, appears first is with whom we are actually empathizing with, because of course they are not sentient beings, right? So, so do, do we also empathize with chairs or do we empathize with our, our shoes that we need to, to put to the bean or, or whatever? It's, it's, um, there is this question that uh, somehow uh, is usually connected with a critique of the use of the term empathy in human-robot interaction studies. But yet there are many situations when those uh, relations of human and robots are described in, with the use of the term empathy. And this happens in three different on three different levels. One of them is the level of uh, declared beliefs of robot users when they say that they have those strong empathizing feelings to robot. For example, we all knew, most of us saw uh, some some clips uh, from Boston Dynamics, right? When where the robots were abused and we had those feelings that something is something wrong is happening there. This is also somehow similar to, to the situation where we, when we are, for example, watching um, cartoons. There, there are those old cartoons about a brave little toaster or something like that. And I cried a lot when I watched it. And I think our culture is actually, for example, because we, we watch those uh, cartoons, we we learn that we can empathize and we can feel sorry for objects like, like the sad little toaster and other like Wally uh, and uh, all of those uh, entities. Uh, so first of them is the cloud beliefs of the robot's user. And there are many psychological studies uh, into this subject. Another one is um, the analysis, uh, an analysis or analysis. I never know how to, to pronounce it. Uh, yeah. of analysis analysis yeah. of this problem on the behavioral level so how people actually react to robots and how people actually uh, react in the face of robots being abused for example and those are the, the um, situations like those when uh, military robots are used and uh, some uh, soldiers uh, refuse to use them on the field because something is gonna, I don't know, happen to those robots or they actually uh, somehow like risk their life to, to have those robots. Uh, and another, another level of um, anal analysis um, of the situations are the analysis and all the studies of the human reactions uh, on robots on the neuronal level. So studies in the field of neuroscience that actually analyze the, the, the activity of the human brain, the specific 
brain areas um, correlated with, with empathy uh, in the f when, when people face are facing robots or when they look at robots uh, being abused. So when we look closer to this problem, we see that uh, first of all, people uh, report feeling empathy with robots. Another one is that when we look on the studies from psychology and neuroscience and from the whole social robotic field, scientists and researchers, they are using our ability with, to, empathy with, uh, to empathize with robots to uh, develop functionality of the robots itself. So even if we define empathy in terms that actually exclude robots uh, as um, some kind of source of empathizing for people, still we have this uh, problem that manipulation in people's empathy towards robots uh, change their functionality. For example, uh, there are many studies showing that when people think that robots understand their emotions and react adequately to those emotions, they trust them, uh, they, they feel safer in their, um, their uh, environment, environment, they like to spend time with those robots and they react differently than when they don't feel understood by robots. And it can, those reactions can be changed by many different uh, factors. But, but the fact that robots are, at the moment, robots are constructed to uh, make us as uh, empathetic towards them is very important in this uh, whole problem. Robots at the moment, in many cases, of course, not everyone, not in every case, but in many situations, are designed. And they are designed to to have features which uh, make us um, empathize uh, with them. They have these uh, shapes or voices or names. They react. Uh, to make us feel that they can somehow re relate to our emotions. And this is the whole uh, big deal in social robotics because functionality of social robots is mainly dependent on how we react and how we perceive those robots if we actually start to perceive them as social actors. So, so this is um, one of the most... Uh, important uh, research topics in social ro robotics at the moment. And then just leading on from that, if if those robots are being designed so that we empathize with them, does that concern you in terms of potentially we could be like emotionally manipulated or how they could be used? Are you are you concerned about that? Yes, I'm very concerned about that because this uh, is uh, how, how how to call it in English. In Polish, we would say uh, that this is uh, so this is like a sword with two ends or something like that. From one point of view, the ability of robots to 
make us feel emotions towards them can be very useful. As I said, it can be very, uh, it can actually, their functionality can depend on, can depend on them, on it. So if we think about uh, older people that are feeling lonely and uh, sometimes social robots can help them uh, to maintain cognitive uh, abilities, to maintain some kind of social experiences uh, in very difficult situations or if we think about uh, people with disabilities uh, in the similar context or uh, people with uh, some kind of um, cognitive dysfunctions or or with uh, in the autism spectrum which sometimes be uh, in, in which for whom <laughs> Uh, social robots can be sometimes used in the form of uh, therapists, then uh, it can be very useful. Uh, also, it can be um, very helpful for education for children to, to, le- uh, to teach them how to uh, behave in social situations. And in those cases... If we empathize with those robots, it can be a huge plus. But from the other point of view, sometimes uh, empathizing with robots can be very dangerous. And this is the case of military robots. Um, in, in such cases, each feature of the robots that make us empathizing with them can be dangerous for the users. So we should design them not to make us uh, feel those strong connection with the robot. And we should be aware what kind of features can, can change it, can, features of the robot, of course. What kind of context uh, can change our ability to empathize with the robot and how it will change it. Uh, another problem is that uh, in some cases... Uh, robots that simulate being sentient, so robots which, which simulate that they feel emotions, that simulate that are in pain or that they need something and that make us feel a strong empathy to them, can be used uh, to manipulate people, for example, for commercial goals. Uh, in this uh, case, we can compare robots to psychopaths who are great when it comes to recognition of people's emotions as some kind of social robots who are designed to do that, but they don't actually they don't feel actual empathy. So they can use those knowledge to main, to, to achieve their own goals. Of course, robots, they don't have their own goals but they are designed to to achieve other people's goals. And we can easily uh, think of uh, robots who are designed as toys for children and who make those big sad eyes and say that, oh, please uh, buy me a friend because I feel lonely. Uh, So they actually pursue people to to make another uh, another, uh, uh, shopping? No. Buy to buy more stuff, <laughs> yes. So, so, so to buy more stuff, and 
we we have to be aware that we live in an economic system that strongly like it maintain that kind of situations and, and reinforce them so so it can be a danger weapon in the hand of uh, companies it's interesting because we talk a lot about how social media companies understand our psychology and are able to use that in terms of dopamine but we don't really talk about how cute robots it's it's a similar application of understanding our psychology and then making use of that for profit yeah but cute cute robots can be most dangerous because they they grow our children grow with them so they are learning all of their behaviors with those robots and they can be easily ma- manipulated by that by it and of one more thing that I forgot to, to mention is that empathy toward robots can be also very important in case of education, not only when we talk about um, when we talk about ch- toys for children, but also when we talk about robots for, for adults. And I'm thinking about sex robots and all of that stuff. So we have to ask those questions, how empathizing with sex dolls can change our society and how lack of empathy towards sex dolls, sex robots can change our society, can reshape it and can also reshape like all our uh, social relations with other people. It's a really good point because something that I've heard listen to quite a few things about is this concern that with sex robots men especially get used to treating them like objects and then treat real women in the same way but what you're describing is is a very different kind of concern about um not treating them as objects but treating them as as something that we empathize with there are two sides of this problem (laughs) Uh, how we treat robots is strongly associated with all the stereotypes we have, also with gender stereotypes. So, for example, there are those um, studies that shows that the, the voice of the robot, the, that people are usually, they are usually more empathetic with robots that have male voices. When it uh, comes to the situations when they, for example, ask for some kind of help uh, and female voices are usually recognized as less serious, less uh, trustworthy. Also, usually robots with female names and robots designed as females, they are robots who are supposed to serve people. Like Alexa. Yeah, like Alexa, but not only Alexa, there are those robots... Uh, who have those, you know, names like Candy or whatever, the, the sex dolls, uh, robots who are supposed to... When we think of uh, about names of the women, of women, they, they, they are usually connected with um, objects that are used for cleaning or <laughs> education or care. And um, 
men's names are usually more serious. They are usually associated with objects and products that should be um, more, how to say it, should be more, uh, not trust someone, but you think that someone is uh, serious and powerful and like deserves respect. <laughs> Sorry. So we respect objects and things that have men names usually. And the, the way we design our robots can strength those stereotypes, like gender stereotypes, or can weaken them. For example, by changing those situations. Uh, if we design robots not uh, with like rules according to those gender stereotypes maybe we can somehow shape relations with, between genders also uh, when it comes to sex robots specifically it is a huge problem because from one point of view there are there are arguments that sometimes maybe sex robots can help people with some kind of um, psychological or, or psych psychiatrist problems, uh, sexual problems with their uh, needs. Uh, but we don't know that. And from other hand, they can reinforce those tendencies in them. For example, when we call, uh, when we uh, talk about pedophiles and uh, sex robots and sex dolls in the shape of little children. Uh, I'm not sure about sex uh, robots uh, who are that, that, that's supposed to, to look like children, but I'm aware that um, there is a lot of sex dolls uh, shaped as, uh, as little uh, boys or girls. And sometimes we can of course, those are just, uh, you know, uh, questions uh, that we, we don't have answers to. But, but there is this risk that using that kind of doll or robot would be just a step into the direction that can be very dangerous for, for real children. Another thing is that um, we are shaping our behaviors. We, we can shape those behaviors with... Sorry, we can shape our social behaviors, uh, as I said before, by using social robots. And if we give ourselves a permission to behave badly towards them, we don't have any idea how, how it would affect our um, behavior towards other people. Especially that some of those behaviors, they are just automatic. So if we repeat them, in many occasions, if we abuse robots in many occasions, uh, we never know if, it will, if, if we won't replace that kind of behavior towards people. In case of women and children, minorities is a especially dangerous perspective from my point of view. But at the same time, uh, too much empathy towards robots. So... so, so we can also talk about uh, this problem in terms of like over attribution 
of robots with some kind of uh, feelings or sentience can be very problematic in terms of uh, development of science because robots can be very helpful for us. So if we empathize with all of them, then they cannot, then those robots cannot be developed uh, to pursue some kind of functions that can finish with their destroy. So, so this is a tricky question. There's, there's a, a lot of stuff there um, that was really interesting. I just want to ask you one more question, if I may, which is, I mean, we, we've got this kind of, it's almost like a, a feedback mm-hmm. loop in that we treat, we treat robots like objects, but we mm-hmm. also empathize with them. And in, in treating anything at all like badly, even if we see it as an object, we start to learn some kinds of negative behaviors, which could then be applied in society to real people, which is what we're really worried about. Just generally speaking, do you think if we empathize with robots, I mean, to some extent, that's, that's because the companies have made us want to empathize, empathize with them. But does this tell us about something? Does this tell us something about how we should treat the robots? It's hard to answer to this question because it's it's very complicated. It, it is a very complicated problem. Uh, I will maybe answer to this in two parts. First of first part, it would maybe like reconstruct the main uh, aspects of the robot that can be manipulated and can change our attitude towards them. And in the second part, I will try to answer to this question more generally uh, and to, to maybe say how we should, what, what can we do in this situation? Uh, so going back to the features of the robots that can be somehow manipulated, um, I think that we can divide them into two basic categories. And first of them uh, is a category of a biological and evolutionary, uh, social cognitive uh, and evolutionary factors. And another one uh, are social uh, cognitive factors. And first of those categories, um, from my point of view, is very important because it gives us some kind of background for all of our behaviors toward robots. Uh, And this is this part that can be easily uh, compared to, when we can easily compare uh, research in uh, area of social robotics to social psychology, for example, because we have those concepts that we treat differently different groups of people, as I said at the beginning of our meeting. And our um, reactions to those people usually are automatic. Uh, One of them is, uh, for example, lower empathy toward representatives of other groups. And 
if we look at this uh, aspect of the process of empathizing, it has a strong evolutionary uh, explanation uh, because, of course, for, for us, it was much more uh, dangerous when we had the contact with other social groups and it was very uh, profitable to, to have a good relations with re representatives of our social group. But this, uh, this biological uh, background can be easily manipulated by cultural and social uh, factors. For example, motivation of individual or education or uh, all social context of certain, certain situation. And this is uh, where we can do a lot knowing that, for example, changing name of the robot can change our attitude towards it or knowing that uh, some kind of knowledge about its history can change our attitude towards it. Uh, it, it can be easily manipulated, changed, but it, it tells us a lot about human beings itself, our, our social uh, relations. So first of all, but sorry, I, I'm talking very like uh, vaguely about it. <laughs> I wanted to, 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 to tell too much probably, but um, focusing on your question. First, we can use social robots to learn more about uh, people's interactions in group and intergroup interactions because robots at the moment are not sentient beings they are not conscious etc so we don't have to risk uh, that we will hurt someone if we for example show to people pictures of robots being abused but still we can check how their behavior, how their uh, social cognition uh, would change if we manipulate robots' behavior, if we manipulate uh, with the context of the situation. We, this can be very useful for science. So from that point of view, we shouldn't empathize with the robots too much. But from the other point of view, and basing on what I've said before, we should think about how um, letting people be aggressive toward robots can negatively impact our society. And from this perspective, knowing that in some cases, people's empathy to robots is uh, very useful and in other situations, it can be very dangerous. Uh, we should um, find or, or, or we should, uh, I don't know, uh, develop some kind of uh, rules when our robots should be uh, designed to, to uh, impact empathy, when they should be designed to somehow minimize it and... This is uh, this is 
a starting point. So we should have some kind of normative and pragmatic frameworks uh, to, to when when it comes to designing robots and manipulations uh, with empathizing um, with robots. Uh, but another thing here that should be mentioned is the status of robots uh, themselves, so or, or itself. Uh, so there is this huge conversation about robots' rights. And in the context of our conversation, in context of our discussion, those, those, this, this dispute is very important because they, they are, there are arguments saying that robots should have rights, uh, for example, because they, they can be abused by people and it can impact negatively on our society. Other people would say that no, robots shouldn't have rights because they, they are just objects, etc. From my point of view, it is more complicated. And from my point of view, the answer should be closely related to that framework that I said before. Uh, at the moment, I cannot answer to this question shortly, but I think we could use the idea of a friend of mine, Kamil Mamak, that, that said that at this stage of our, uh, the development of our technology and the development of robotics, we can uh, forbid abusive behaviors toward robots uh, without giving rights to robots. Uh, and this is the situation similar to unwanted social behaviors in public. So, for example, we can say uh, aggression toward robots in, in public is forbidden because we don't want our children to see abusive behaviors toward others and to learn that kind of abusive behaviors. I'm not sure if this is a good a solution to the whole problem, but it can be easily used at the moment. So it can, it is not a problem to, to develop our law as it is to make some kind of, to make it more sensitive to, to, to abuse to, toward robots. Of course, this is just the first step uh, and the more research needs to be done on this problem. Uh, but the, the faster development of uh, robots is the more we need that kind of rules. For example, there are first, first uh, cases where uh, automatic cars created some kind of accidents and we don't know who is responsible for that. Uh, there are cases of robots that are working as policemen or, I don't know, hostess in a, uh, in a hotel and the behavior was found somehow uh, disruptive or, or, I don't know, unwanted. So we need to uh, think through all of that kind of situation, but we need to look at those problems, including the question about empathizing with robots. That's a really good note to end on. And I really like the idea of trying to um, ban that kind of behavior without without giving robots rights, um, which seems almost a step too far. Thanks so much for joining us, Johanna. It's been a really great conversation. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Ethics for a Changing World. We've got lots more episodes available wherever you listen to this podcast. We think you'll especially like the first part of this series, which is with anthropologist Beth Singler, on the dangers of treating humans as robots. And we've got lots more exciting episodes coming out in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be such a good um, few weeks for the podcast. Remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast and to share the show with anyone who might be interested. I'll see you again next time.